whenever we approach scripture, we're always looking for um, what God is up to, what God is doing in scripture and in our world. Sometimes it's particularly important also to think about where we locate ourselves in the text. Because sometimes how we understand the scripture is de dependent on or affected by where we see ourselves in the text. So if you think about it, if you think of the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, how you see that story may be different if you see yourself as the person laying by the side of the road, or if you see yourself as the person who stops to help, or if you see yourself as the person who walks on by. We have a difficult scripture this morning. And so I'm gonna give us a very specific invitation, a specific place in the text to go and stand. I'm gonna invite us as we enter into this scripture to use our imagination and to imagine in this scripture that we are someone who is hungry and needs food. Or use your imagination to um, imagine that you are someone who is sick and in need of care and listen to the story that way. Or think, draw on your own life experience, your imagination to think of a time when you felt left out and excluded and you needed to be welcomed in. In this scripture, go and stand there and listen for a word. And I'm gonna invite Anne to come and she and I will read the scripture for you. Anne? Yes. So the scripture today is from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. When the human one comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when it was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king answered them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not give me clothing sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them. Truly, I tell you, 
just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy Christ, wrap us in your loving kindness that we might hear a word from you and be changed for good. Amen. There is a dangerous reading of this parable connected with a mean theology that has gripped popular culture for far too long. It's grounded in this popular theology that goes like this. Good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And somewhere out there, there is a God, a wrathful God, watching us and everything we do, sifting us, either for eternal punishment or eternal bliss. That popular notion of heaven and hell, that image of God, it's all over television and the movies. Over the centuries, it has been used to control people with fear. And here's the thing, that's not what we believe. It's not what Presbyterians or Reformed Christians believe. It's not scripture. It is certainly not Jesus. We believe in grace, embodied in God's boundless love for us in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, it is by grace we have been saved through faith, and this not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works or what we do so that no one can boast. That's the good news of the gospel. God in Jesus Christ is at work in the world and in us, saving us and the whole world from everything that does us harm. As my friend and colleague Rob McClellan writes, the gospel and this parable are not faithfully told when they are told in fear. So let's set aside that tired, dangerous reading for now and give this parable a fresh look. Let's, let's do what we do when we approach scripture. Let's look for where God is at work. In this gospel text, let's look for Jesus and let's ask where in this story does Christ stand? Now, this is a difficult text. It's a difficult text out of a difficult gospel. Scholars think that the Gospel of Matthew was written out of a community that had recently been thrown out of their broader community, or maybe, maybe things got so bad that they left. They were raised in the traditions of the Hebrew Scriptures, and what they read in the Law and in the Prophets, they also experienced in Jesus. The broader community didn't see it that way, and at some point there was a painful break. So in the Gospel of Matthew, it often seems like the text is arguing against someone or someones. But as Eugene Boring points out, it's important to remember this gospel, this gospel was likely addressed to those who experienced themselves as outsiders. And we find outsiders at the heart of this text, this parable of the judgment of the nations. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. At the heart of this text, 
we find those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who have been thrown out, those who are shivering in the cold, those who are sick, those who are in prison. If we enter into this text and go and stand there at its heart, what we find is Jesus. It is, as Howard Thurman says, Jesus stands with those whose backs are up against the wall. It is as the church in South Africa proclaimed, and we now affirm in the Belhar Confession, God in a world full of injustice and enmity is in a special way the God of the destitute, the poor, and the wronged. And God calls the church to follow God there. The church must therefore stand where Jesus stands with people in any form of suffering and need. If we ask of this text, where does Christ stand? we find Christ standing with those who are suffering in the midst of their suffering. And we know the suffering of our world. Globally, we know the suffering of the earth itself, the groaning of all creation in climate emergency, experienced in hurricanes and wildfires as we realize that we may have harmed the earth beyond repair and as we pray for healing in the broad sweep of history and in our present day, we stand 400 years into the suffering caused by tenacious systemic American racism as those systems continue to harm and kill black lives. And in this year, we know the suffering of pandemic as we enter this third surge of COVID-19 infections and deaths. One health official has described this third surge as a rising wave that has not yet crashed. Where the first two surges were more geographically concentrated, this third surge is national and may stretch our healthcare system to its breaking point. Importantly, it may exhaust what one expert has called the most important resource in our healthcare system, healthcare workers and the training and experience and wisdom they bring to their life-saving care. As this third surge rises, we're hearing again from ICU nurses who have never left the front lines of care and healing. From the first months of the pandemic, they've been speaking out, posting videos, sharing the realities of their ICUs in the days of COVID, in the hopes that this nation will not look away, will not deny, will face realities with responsible action. This summer, Kelsey Jacks, an ICU nurse in Birmingham, described her days in an audio diary. Day by day, she tends to patients on ventilators, some stable, some in acute respiratory failure. Care of COVID patients often involves hard physical work, including a technique called proning, where the ICU team flips the patient onto their stomach and then eventually back onto their back to help them breathe. Lydia Mobley, a traveling ICU nurse, and others have described their emotional and spiritual care of patients who are isolated. The nurses and doctors work with the families who can't be in the ICU, helping them to communicate with their loved ones. They sit with patients who are dying. They've done this every shift since March. And all this in these days, with every bed occupied and the ICU filled to overflowing. 
Della Tagayuna adds that they also get to accompany some patients as they struggle to survive and get to see them heal. And when that happens, she says, they get to know the person behind the medications in the labs. And sometimes they get to celebrate when a patient is at last able to walk out of the room. All of this takes a tremendous toll. Healthcare workers are exhausted, many in near constant traumatic stress. Mobley explains how she keeps going like this. She says, we're trying to survive, keep our patients alive and keep ourselves alive. Mobley says that the only way that she thinks they're able to do this is shoulder to shoulder working together in what Kelsey Jacks describes as her work family. Jacks describes moments of accompanying a patient at the end of life, of sitting with family, moments that are excruciatingly painful. And Kelsey Jacks says, those are the moments when I feel most proud to be a nurse. When I'm most proud of my coworkers and my work family. And those may be the moments for which we all are most grateful. That moment when someone steps up beyond what might be expected and stands with us in our deepest suffering and sorrow. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. When we stand at the heart of this scripture and in the midst of the suffering of our world, what we find there is Christ, the King, come down off their throne, not only standing beside those who are suffering, but identifying with our suffering and entering into it. Christ says, just as you did this for the least of these, you did it for me. And on this Christ the King Sunday, as we stand in the heart of the scripture, I want to suggest this. The kingdom of God is like an ICU nurse. She rises in the early dawn, bleary-eyed with weary bones, and she gets ready for her day. She looks in on her kids, still sleeping, and she talks in hushed tones with her wife, who will work from home and guide their kids as they do their online school. When she pulls into the hospital parking deck, she doesn't get out of her car right away. She takes a deep breath and steadies herself, and then she goes in. She talks to the nurse whom she is relieving, receiving the latest update from the colleague who has preceded her through the night in this community of care. And she suits up in her full protective gear, in her PPE, which she'll do again and again throughout the day, and she begins to tend her patients. In the ICU, her intensive care used to be focused on one patient, but these days, more likely two. She administers meds, talking to her sleeping patient as she goes about her care. She makes sure they are as comfortable as possible. She encourages them. She speaks tenderly to them. She calls in her colleagues to help them turn a patient on their stomach using the strength of her body to care for theirs. She gets a call from the family 
and sets up an iPad so that the patient can hear from the family. She persists in tender mercy throughout her long shift. And at the end of the shift, she whispers a word of hope to her patients before she confers with her colleague, trusting that he will carry forward their care. And then she heads home to love her family. The kingdom of God is like an ICU nurse. Now you might say, Scott, that may be at the heart of this text, in the middle verses. But all around that, there is also judgment in this parable. You can't ignore that. Indeed, there is judgment in this text, but look closely at what is being judged here in this parable. Judgment in scripture is always about revealing truth. Judgment is having our eyes opened, a revealing of the truth of our world and our part in it, and of what is ultimate and what is not. At the beginning of this parable, Christ takes their seat on the throne and he summons the nations. In this parable of the judgment of nations, what is being judged, what is being revealed are the nations and the powers and the systems. The powers and the systems that keep the hungry hungry and that keep water from those who thirst. The powers and the systems that separate us and make us strangers to each other, that throw some out into the cold with no shelter, that tell so many of us that we are somehow less than. The powers and the systems that crush our bodies and bind us up. And so this, this is the image of God we see here in this scripture. Christ, the King, stands with those whose backs are up against the wall in the midst of their suffering, entering into their suffering, and says to them, you see these powers? I'm dismantling all this and building with you the reign of Christ, where the hungry are fed and every stranger welcomed in, where every illness and need are met with tender mercy, where the world is made whole. How we see the image of God matters. It matters for our life. As Maurice Boyd says, we become like the gods we worship. If we image God as a wrathful God, separating the sheep from the goats and sending the goats off to a place called hell, our lives will have little room for compassion and tender mercy. If we don't see God down in the muck and mire of our lives with sleeves rolled up and their mask on, feeding the hungry, welcoming the stranger, and working for the well-being of the sick, we're not likely to do any of that either. Friends, there is good news in this scripture, and I don't want us to miss out. Jesus stands in power and tender mercy with those whose backs are up against the wall, entering into the deep sorrow and suffering of the world and experiencing it with us. And, and the sovereign Christ stands there and announces an end to the powers that push people down and hold people back and proclaims the reign of Christ, a new day of justice healing, and freedom, a new day dawning even now. The invitation of this parable, 
the invitation of the good news of God's love for us in Jesus Christ is to go and stand where Jesus stands and get to work, to live with all we've got into the hope of God's sovereign love for us and for the whole world in Jesus Christ.